on this episode of Risky Business. Compliance is not about getting it right all the time. And compliance is not about being perfect all the time. It's about being a facilitator and being a guidance counselor. I'm Steve Muddyman, and this is Risky Business, a show from GAN Integrity covering the wide range of issues in compliance and ethics, but with one goal in mind, empowering your people to do the right thing. TikTok has over 1 billion daily active users. 1 billion. If you want to talk about compliance at scale, this is the organization to consider. Needless to say, building a compliance function for a company of this size is no small feat. It requires more than just hard skills. It demands strong judgment and integrity. That's what Catherine Rosano, TikTok's head of global legal compliance, is pursuing. And to pull such a large, rapidly growing team along with her, she's making a special effort to communicate the value of compliance and ethics to each employee. TikTok is a rocket ship. And Catherine talks about needing to scale the compliance function as quickly as the organization is growing. You'll hear her share how she approaches compliance training, how she defines ethics across cultures, and why she ultimately sees compliance as servant leadership. As you listen, think about how you're explaining compliance to your company. Is it tailored to what each person cares about? Are you leading with integrity at the forefront of your mind? And are you serving as a trusted guide to your team as they consider risks and explore new opportunities. So let me firstly welcome Catherine Rosano to this latest episode of Risky Business. Catherine is the head of global legal compliance at TikTok and ByteDance. So Catherine, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you join us today. I'm speaking from the UK as I have been for a number of these Risky Business podcast series. So whereabouts exactly are you today, Catherine? I actually reside in Orange County, California, which is equidistant between Los Angeles and San Diego. But I work out of the Los Angeles office, which is TikTok's US headquarters. And so for those that don't know what TikTok's about, where the organization had come from. Could you give us some indication of scale now at TikTok? I suspect that our listeners here, without prejudging our audience and our audience's ages here, that some of them will be very familiar. Others will have family that are extremely familiar. So help us bridge the gap, if you like, in terms of what does it mean to, to folks? TikTok, in terms of global scale, we have over 1 billion daily active users. One billion. I've heard that reference to as a third of the world's population. We are actively working in most markets around the world. And if you have teenagers, 20-somethings, even 30-somethings, most people will know that TikTok is a short-form digital entertainment platform. It is super fun. I, in fact, did not use TikTok before before taking the recruiter's call. But I quickly learned that it was a really fun way to just be entertained. I think what I've also learned about the company's global scale is it's more than just watching the videos. There are so many different features and opportunities to engage with different kinds of communities and create relationships with various creators and users. 
So it really is quite interactive in terms of the way that the platform operates. But ByteDance is our parent company. The company is based in China. And we also have an Asian headquarters in Singapore. Now, the company ByteDance was actually founded 10 years ago by our founder, Yiming. And in a typical startup fashion, it was... It grew from a one-bedroom apartment in China with a bunch of folks just coding, figuring out what would be interesting for the market, what would be fun for the market. And it really grew exponentially from there. Four years ago, ByteDance acquired an application called Musical.ly, which at the time was very popular with tweens. And they would either lip sync or almost karaoke really popular music and make their own videos. And I actually recall several years ago when Musical.ly was so popular, it was on Good Morning America and the Today Show, and everyone was wondering, what is this app? Then ByteDance purchased it and rebranded it TikTok. And when they rebranded it, there was a lot of background research to try to understand how do we scale Musical.ly? Because at some point, Our daily active user growth is going to plateau. It's a very simple idea, sing to music. At some point, people are going to lose interest in that. So there was a lot of thought put into how do we scale it? How do we grow daily active users? And how do we make it not a kid's app? How do we make it an app that is interesting to all generations, to all cultures, And that's essentially what the rebranding was about, was turning it into short form videos where creators could be very innovative and unique on the kinds of videos they want to make, but also putting it out in a way that it wasn't focused solely on kids, but focused on a much larger global audience. So I know you're recently into the role, but tell us about yourself and the role that when that recruiter that you mentioned just now spoke to you, what did they tell you and what does it feel like to be on board? Yeah, so I've been with TikTok ByteDance for six months and in TikTok years, that's two to three years. We talk about, we've talked about our work in terms of dog years. It's a very fast moving, innovative business operation. So you really get immersed pretty quickly. So I've been doing compliance work for the past 20 plus years. I started out as a typical white collar defense lawyer. What does that mean? That means as a first year associate, I did a lot of document review, slowly built my way into being on big government investigations, interviewing witnesses, second chairing a couple individual representations. And ultimately, I got to a point when in private practice where I realized what I was most passionate about was sitting with the client. It was when I was with the client that I felt most energized rather than being in the office. So in 2010, I decided to pivot and go in-house. I was at a Fortune 100 US defense contractor and managed their compliance and international law portfolio for many years. It was amazing work, learned lots about the way a business actually operates versus the way it operates in front of an outside law firm. So really got my feet wet there and learned the ropes in terms of managing relationships and being able to manage risk, reasonable risk. I then left that, I left that company when I 
served as the chief ethics and compliance officer for Panasonic Avionics when they entered into their deferred prosecution agreement for violations of the FCPA, and they were appointed a monitor. So I had the privilege of working with Panasonic and the DOJ and the monitor team to get them through that monitorship, rebuild their ethics and compliance program, and really shift their culture to more more of a compliance mindset. And if that wasn't challenging enough, after the monitorship concluded and we started to stabilize, I was received a call and I took it. And I just felt like I had at least another good run of exponential challenge in me. And I think TikTok is proving to provide every challenge I could have ever hoped for. I am the first global head of legal compliance. That in in and of itself is challenging. Building the function from the ground up, instilling different types of compliance mindset. There was a lot in place before I arrived, much to the kudos of my teammates who preceded me. But we're going to build more structure and we're going to build more formality around it. And that will be done in concert with the challenges and the day-to-day issues that arise. So it's been a lot of fun so far. (laughs) So far. That's great to hear. You said, and I've encountered every challenge possible at TikTok. Can you talk to some of those and maybe put it into the context of what's the focus? What was the things that you've been asked to, to look at in terms of building this organization as the first head of global legal compliance. What are the priorities for you and therefore for the business that you are building? And how do you get others to participate in that? That's a big question. I think the most important part of what I've been asked to do is to be sure that we're growing the compliance organization at the same scale as the global enterprise. Clearly, we can't do that at the same pace because this organization is still fairly young. The broader organization is a bit more mature. But I think that what my approach has been thus far is really leaning into the foundation that my teammates established before I arrived, which is really creating important relationships with the business, being front and center with the business, ensuring that individuals know who they are. And again, to my teammates' credit, they prepared the business for my arrival. They prepared various different corporate functions for what would likely be a change or a shift in the way that that the compliance organization would operate. In terms of the scale, the compliance team was really centered in one location. We are now scaling that to broadly create more global roles, putting folks in various different regions of import to us. So the markets that we want to continue to scale, having compliance officers on the ground in those regions to work with our legal business partners, with our audit teams, with the business directly. And then the next goal, which we're working towards actually right now, is establishing centers of excellence in the areas where we see either immediate risk or future risk. So that's the plan at the moment. We're about, I'm trying to think actually, we were six, seven, eight, now 13, and we've got another couple heads to fill. So I think we'll be probably 17 or 18 by the end of this year, globally. 
you mentioned ethics and compliance several times together. How do you translate what is ethical when you consider interpretation of ethics can mean various different things to different people wherever they may well be around the world and the kind of role that they may perform or perhaps the roles that they have performed in the past where perhaps one thing that appears right to somebody is completely different to what is right to someone else. How does that translate as you are establishing yourself in the business? You're developing that organization that was already there that you talked about that paved the way for your arrival into the business. And now you're expanding out into more global locations, as you you said, with additional compliance officers working with legal counsel on the ground. How do you balance all of those very different dynamics that are taking place here in terms of what ultimately is right and what is wrong? I've been asked a couple times, what does ethics mean to you? And I will tell you what ethics means to me, but it's not necessarily how everyone views it, particularly in different cultures. So what ethics means to me is when I come home from a day at work, I will be proud of the decisions that I've made, proud enough to discuss them with my family, my husband, my kids, my parents, knowing that I may have faced challenges during the day, but I stuck to my convictions and I made integrity an integral part of my decision-making throughout the day. That's what ethics means to me. I think that's probably true of most cultures, but the way that we define integrity, the way that we define ethical behaviors can be somewhat different in different markets. In terms of the way that I try to approach these issues, I really think that at the end of the day, you have to tap into people's emotional intelligence, tap into making good judgment calls. I do think that compliance officers are almost paid more for their judgment than they are for their substantive skills. There's a lot of great, smart people in this world that could definitely do my job and the job of many other global heads or chief compliance officers. But the dividing line, the fine line between those with great skill sets and substantive knowledge and leaders is, I think, judgment and where integrity is being exercised as a skill on a daily basis, regardless of the region or the marketplace you might be in. Being able to transcend across the organization, is there an element of training and education that's going to have to take place that you and your newly found hired team is going to have to embark upon to raise that level in all parts of the organization. When I asked you that specific question, you purposely talked about yourself and how you viewed ethics and being proud of the decisions that you make every day. Being able to engender that similar kind of idea across the organization and then equip individuals to be able to do that, that's going to put a big burden on your team's shoulders. Yes, but it's an absolutely necessary part of what an ethics and compliance team does. So to answer your initial question, yes, we will have to go out and embark on these kinds of trainings. I think training and communication campaigns are absolutely critical to getting the message out. And it may have to take a different form for different audiences. So the way that we train on ethics or integrity as a skill or 
compliance tone at the top is going to look and feel very different for our senior leadership team than for our junior engineers. They need different things. They need, frankly, different opportunities to engage. And time is always an issue. But in fact, I was in Singapore not too long ago and spent an entire day with the team there. And we did a lot of whiteboarding and really tried to set out what our priorities are for the remainder of this year into 2023. And one of the priorities will be what we're calling a roadshow. Despite rising cases, it seems that we are engaging in more business travel and international touch points. And we really do need to get out. The pandemic has been hard to get these messages out. It's been hard to engage with folks. And I think many businesses have done it well, including TikTok and ByteDance. But now is also the time to really look each other in the eye, embrace each other and create those connections again. And thankfully, TikTok is the type of place that is super encouraging of wanting teams to be together to the extent safe and possible. But there's no, I would say, consternation around getting on a plane and going and meeting with your stakeholders and setting meetings and really creating that partnership and innovative spirit. There, There's a lot of encouragement around being together again. That's really encouraging to hear. And I think that probably leads on to that point you made with regard to those building relationships with the business. What I've been hearing as we have conversations like these is about connection to understanding how the business works, not just how compliance works. And being able to demonstrate the value of compliance for those businesses and how they can make it a contributor to their success, whether they're in marketing or in sales or in product design or operations or support, whatever those functions are that, that exist within your business. Is that how you see things? I absolutely see it that way. I believe that compliance has a very significant value proposition for various parts of the business. That value may translate into different things. It could potentially translate into cost savings. It could potentially trans in, translate into reduced risk liabilities. It can translate into setting the right culture, setting the right tone which again is going to pay dividends that may not show up on your P&L, but will show dividends in your retention rates, in your productivity by employees, people speaking up and bring out issues before they become massive problems. That's where the value proposition is from my perspective. And like I said, it comes in many different shapes and sizes. That is a theme, a message that has to be communicated very delicately to different parts of the business and mature business leaders do understand that value proposition. I think for those business leaders who are maybe new to working with legal and compliance departments very closely, it's a little bit of a harder sell. And that's where the relationship building and spending the time to learn about them and their needs and their goals ultimately pays dividends for the compliance team because everybody wants to talk about themselves. Everybody wants to share what an amazing job or a product or feature they are building. So if you can get someone in a room to talk to you about everything that they're doing that's great, 
and you show excitement for it and really listen and ask questions and try to understand, that immediately creates a connection where they will want to listen back and hear what you have to say. And that word culture comes up a lot, The creating the environment upon which individuals or parts of the organization feel that they can participate in. How does that sit with the senior leadership teams? And you talked about some really important things that resonate differently depending on who you are and where you are in the business. But let's just reflect on the senior leadership team. When you talk in language that can affect costs, which ultimately can affect impact of PL. You talk about reducing liabilities, similar. You talk about culture creating that right tone, which has a positive impact on retention as well as hiring people and being able to see things before they actually happen that could have a detrimental impact on the business. How does that resonate when you talk to the senior leadership team and how do they actually reflect that in their day-to-day operations? Is this something that's constantly managed and is visible at the executive level? Definitely visible at the leadership level. This is what we talk about. We talk about trying to inculcate this compliance culture, this compliance value proposition into the foundation of the way the business operates. Now, I came from a company that was over 100 years old. And before that, I came from a company that was close to 100 years old through a variety of different acquisitions. The parent company is 10 years old. TikTok is four years old. It is experiencing explosive growth. There's still work to be done, but the leadership, first of all, they wouldn't have even hired for this role if they didn't see it as a value proposition, if they didn't care about compliance being a part of the overall business structure. But there's work to do. I'm sure there is. And there's, as you said earlier, that exercise of racking up a lot of air miles going around the world, educating the organization, individuals, teams, businesses, the operation is you're going to encounter a lot of very interesting conversations as you go about doing that. And as you point out, different messages for different people in different parts of the organization. Thinking about those that you are bringing into the team and those individuals that will actually join your organization, what would the profile, give us some insight as to how the profile of those individuals may or may not look when you think about what types of people in this innovative, and this is the image I'm getting, innovative, exciting, young, ambitious, beyond rapid growth organization that you are now part of, what do the individuals need to feel and look like and what's their background that are going to come and join your organization to take on this crusade that you're leading here? They don't have to look like anything specific and they certainly don't have to be young. I'm not young, particularly when I sit in a room with some of my colleagues. What we're looking for right now are folks who have an absolute open mind to the possibility of what this company can become on a global scale. It's a rocket ship. We refer to it as a rocket ship. I think in my LinkedIn postings where I post job opportunities, I refer to it as a rocket ship. You've got to be ready to strap in and really ride the different waves. Any business, there will be ebbs and flows, but these ebbs can be very low and the flows can be very high. So you've got to be willing to move in those ups and downs, be flexible, be willing to pivot, have a tolerance for risk. 
I have said this multiple times, both to my business colleagues at TikTok and other companies. I've said this publicly. Businesses do not exist for the sake of building compliance machines. Businesses exist for the purpose of whatever they're looking to sell, whatever good or service or opportunity or community that is going to be created. We are there to help them. We are there to facilitate their goals. We are there to guide and counsel them on the different paths. The path they want to take may not be the best path. It may not be the straight path. It may not be the smoothest path. So we try to help them understand what other opportunities, what other paths may be possible. That is, I think, the crux of what we're looking for when we are building out the teams in terms of emotional intelligence and senior leadership qualities to really be able to advise a business that is on a rocket ship and is scaling at exponential pace. So let's talk about rocket ships. So from the day that you arrived, what's changed in your work and perhaps the way in which you work from when you started to where you are today. You mentioned some of the others in the organization and their age relative to yourself. I too face the same. So talk to me about what has changed in the six months that's been part of this rocket ship so far. Everything and nothing. Nothing in that I've been working from home for almost two years. I still work from home most of the time. I would say everything in that now when I go to the office, I don't actually have an office. For the first time in 20 plus years, I don't have an office. I have a desk and I sit in the open seating area with all kinds of folks, the engineers, the marketing group, comms, product, really anyone and everyone, which is really cool, actually. I was resistant to it for a long time, but I actually derive a lot of energy from it, I'm finding, and have met so many different people that I probably would never have exposure to if I weren't in an open seating plan. I think the other thing that just feels really different from both of my prior in-house employers is people are so excited about this company. People are so excited about the opportunity that we're providing to our users, to our creators, creating communities, engaging with communities. And that's the rocket ship, right? Is most people are not going to get actually on a rocket ship. You look at Jeff Bezos and others, very few people want to get on these commercial rocket ships, despite the fact that they're extremely expensive, but very few people actually want to do that. You have to really be into it. You have to be into space and wanting to feel that experience. And this is very much the same. And the energy that you can see from the employees is it's intoxicating. Given that you talk to the fact that you are the first person in the company's short history to have the title or the role that you have today, they must have so many questions for you about what does it mean? What sorts of conversations do you have around the coffee machine and the water cooler and those kinds of discussions? What are they like? I think it's mostly explaining why I'm here. Again, my two prior employers, everyone knew who I was and why the role existed. It was very clear. I walk around TikTok, whether it's in the US or outside of the US, and people know who I am, but they're on a rocket ship. They're working on lots of other things. There's not a whole lot of like fanfare around 
my arrival. So I really try to be very intentional about just introducing myself to people, telling them why I'm here, what the value is. And to be honest, I think it has been successful. Just within the first few months of my arrival, I had all kinds of folks reaching out to me directly and asking questions or seeking my opinion or just wanting to chat about how they could do to help or what they could do to help. The mission of creating compliance as a value proposition amongst the business. So I think there's a lot of interest and people just have to know that it's there. Let me change track a little bit. You mentioned centers of expertise earlier when you talked about the deploying of your organization around the world. And you mentioned centers of expertise wherever we see immediate or future risk. We are, as we know, in an ever-changing world. That sounds like a cliche, but real-world events are happening to us as we speak. When you think about those immediate or future risks for TikTok What sorts of considerations do you have to think about in the context of some of the geopolitical things that are affecting our everyday lives? Is that something that concerns your function, your organization, indeed those teams that you're going to be putting in places around the world? Yes. uh, Geopolitical issues are clearly something that, that I think about and the team thinks about in addition to many other functions. Two weeks into starting this, in this position, Russia invaded Ukraine. So as I was onboarding, my attention immediately turned to sanctions. So I think, again, you have to be, in this organization, you have to be flexible. You have to be able to pivot into different areas that require your need. But there are geopolitical issues that need to remain top of mind as we counsel the business and work with our comms partners, our GR partner, our legal business partners, the leadership. It's an important, we're a very interconnected world and it's an important consideration when it comes to risk. So when you think about some of those, these many of the issues that we alluded to here will be some of those issues you would have encountered in the past, perhaps not necessarily to some of the extremes that you do today. What, for example, is a couple of those key tools, if you will, or techniques or experiences that you've always carried around with you that's helped you to deal with some of those really complex projects that, you know, or risks or issues that you've get confronted with. How do you deal with those challenges when they come at you? And what would you use as typically a skill that you've acquired in the past that you feel always plays out well for you? Breathing. Think, pause, act. So I used to tell my kids when they were younger, think about what you want to say or what you want to do, count to five, and then action it. This was usually in the context of my two boys wanting to beat each other up (laughs) or say something mean. But I think it's absolutely translatable into the business world because oftentimes we want to solve problems and we want to solve them immediately. That's not always the right answer. You need to think about what is the problem and are you actually being asked to solve the problem or are you being asked to assist with the problem solving? So I like to take a step back and think about what I'm really being asked to do and or what the team is being asked to do and whether we need to bring in other stakeholders, whether we need to create some cross-functional partnership. 
to attack it. So I would say that is something I do try to manage day to day in addition to breathing. <laughs> I, I think also for me, one of my tools in the toolkit, which works for some organizations and maybe not for others, but I really try to stay very authentic to who I am. And that means I'm more than happy to be vulnerable with people. I'm more than happy to explain what I don't know, but that I can certainly try to figure out how to do it or get the right person to do it. And that I'm not perfect and that I've made mistakes. I think that goes a long way in this field because we're not always going to get it right. And that's okay. Compliance is not about getting it right all the time. And compliance is not about being perfect all the time. It's about being a facilitator and being a guidance counselor and creating those insurance policies for the business. And then if something goes wrong, you're also going to be their advocate and hopefully provide them the opportunity to defend themselves, which makes us business partners. And I think if I may use a word there to describe some of that, perhaps endearing, because what that does, that vulnerability, if you will, in all of our working lives is endearing to others to enable them to see how they can partner in a, I'm going to use the word safe, if you will, but in an environment where you're not trying to sell something or force a particular issue or rule, if you will, which often compliance can be associated with governance against a set of predefined rules. You describe that way of completing a set of tasks or driving a set of outcomes together in partnership. You used collaboration and relationship with the business earlier, but that's not just the business, it's people. I, I think when you mentioned cult, nobody manufactures culture. There's no technology company out there that gives you a, tech, a culture tool. It's effectively the sum of how the organization operates and what it stands for and the way in which it acts. And I sense from what you just said there, that's you know, you're facilitating, enabling that to happen. Yeah. And I actually read a quote from Colin Powell the other day, and the quote is, leadership is all about people. It is not about organizations. It is not about plans. It is not about strategies. It is all about people motivating people to get the job done. You have to be people-centered. But the reason why I found this quote was because we just came off of a legal leadership offsite where the theme of the entire three days was people first. And we did very little substantive kind of legal work discussions, right? There was no presentation about IP, or the FCC, or the FCPA. It was all about taking care of our people, investing in our people, serving our people, leading our people. For me, that's a rocket ship I want to be on, a rocket ship that is focused around people. The app is focused around people. The app is focused around community. That is cool. That's the mission. Powerful. So I can't let you go without you offering some advice to all the listeners of whatever age group they're in. What do they need to do if they've never been on TikTok? And how are you going to encourage them to go and make their first post? 
Oh my gosh, I am not a salesperson. I would encourage folks just to first download the app and just try it out and just see if it's for them. Honestly, I never thought I would even have any interest in TikTok. And I find myself going down the rabbit hole sometimes because these videos are really funny. And what's interesting is that there's a really creative swath of people around the world that you just, you would never have any exposure to. And I think the other cool thing about it is, again, we do live in an interconnected world, but we can also find ourselves in very isolated places. And it's nice to hear and see people that look different, sound different, have different interests. I think that's a huge reason for people to at least try to try TikTok. Everyone has to make their own decisions. So Catherine, let's just talk about you for a moment. What is the most important lesson you've learned in your career in compliance? To take risks, to take reasonable risk with your career. You never know where your path will go. I was very nervous about jumping off the very traditional law firm practice and moving in in house at the time. And it set me up for such success in being able to make different decisions, take a leap of faith and join Panasonic and move my entire family from Washington, D.C. to California to taking on this challenge with TikTok, not only obviously in a very important role, but in a sector I had, I've never been in. I've never been in the technology sector. I've really, most of my career has been in aerospace, defense, manufacturing, where type of operations. So I would just say, take risks. Don't be afraid because of the challenge. Don't be afraid if you don't think you have every single skill set in that job requisition. Just go for it. I'm not sure I expected to hear that response from somebody who helps to manage risk, encourages others to take risk. Reasonable risk. Reasonable risk is a wonderful dynamic. Thanks for listening to Risky Business. For more insights and resources, check out the show notes or go to ganintegrity.com. And be sure to follow along wherever you get your audio.